The views expressed on this program are not necessarily the views of the station. Content is for educational purposes only. Consult a financial advisor or conduct your own due diligence if investing. The show was pre-recorded earlier this week. The Everyday Wealth Radio Show and Podcast are produced and created by Edelman Financial Engines and hosted by Gene Chatsky and Soledad O'Brien. Ms. Chatsky and Ms. O'Brien are not employees or clients of the firm. They receive fixed cash compensation for acting as hosts and related activities and therefore have an incentive to endorse Edelman Financial Engines and its planners. For additional information, please see everydaywealth.com. The 2022 Top 100 Independent Advisory Firm Ranking issued by Barron's is qualitative and quantitative, including assets managed, revenue generated, regulatory records, staffing levels and diversity, technology spending, and succession planning. Firms elect to participate but do not pay to be included in the ranking. Compensation is paid for use in distribution of rating. Awarded September 2022 based on data within a 12-month period. Investor experience and returns are not considered. At the intersection of life and money, this is Edelman Financial Engine's Everyday Wealth with award-winning journalist Soledad O'Brien, personal finance expert Gene Chatsky, and Edelman Financial Engine's wealth planner John McCafferty. Edelman Financial Engines has been ranked by Barron's as the number one investment advisor in the country. Now, here's Gene Chatsky, Soledad O'Brien, and John McCafferty. Last week, people went to the polls, and on their minds was inflation and gas prices, the possibility of a recession, and a number of social issues. The day after, the results were clear as mud. (laughs) But since then, the races have been decided many times, quite narrowly. And control of Congress, at least at the time that we're recording this, has the House flipping to Republicans, the Senate staying with Democrats. And we've seen, really, since the elections, the markets have responded somewhat favorably, which is something we actually talked about pretty recently. The markets seem to not care who's in office. What they don't like is uncertainty. Hey, everybody. I'm Soledad O'Brien. I'm John McCafferty. And I'm Jean Chatsky, and you're listening to Edelman Financial Engine's Everyday Wealth. Soledad, you are so right about the market's response to the election, and I I think it's going to be interesting to watch and see if we get any drop in volatility now that the midterms are behind us. I'm actually excited for it not to be the main story everyone talks about. I'm really thrilled that the ads are gone. Unfortunately for those folks in Georgia, they've got a few more weeks of ads. But even given that the midterm election stole a lot of the airwaves, other financial data has been in the news as well. Inflation came in lower than expected. It's still high, but the consumer price index grew at 7.7%. That's down from 8.2 in September. Now investors are trying to suss out what the Fed will do at their meeting next month. And many are thinking it could only be a half a basis point or 0.5%. And the full height may not go above 5% for the Fed funds rate. Job growth for October was higher than expected with non-farm payrolls adding 261,000 for the month. That was higher than projected. So all of this begs the question, how bad is it really out there? And that's what we're going to focus on today. And of course, Gene, it comes right back to what you love to talk about, personal economies. It gets to the personal. Yes, jobs have been added, but if you work in the tech sector, then... You might have lost a job or you might be worried right now that you're going to lose your job. I mean, Twitter is kind of a hot mess. Uh, Snapchat meta laying off people. The list goes on and on. So for the employees at these companies or really, I think, any company that's recently been laid off, obviously things are feeling really bad. And then, of course, inflation continues to persist, even though we've seen some cooling. And not to pile on, but let me pile on by just saying that 
Unfortunately, if you're out there looking to buy a home, you are kind of stuck. Mark Zandi was interviewed in the New York Times recently. He's been on our show before, and he said, I have never, never seen an environment for home buyers like the environment that we are seeing now. He actually suggested that buyers take a pause because while interest rates are rising, he and a number of economists do expect that home prices will eventually fall. But John, I imagine when it comes to investors, people's emotions have been all over the spectrum and could depend on their years of investing and their future time horizons. If you're in your early 20s or maybe in your 30s, and this is the first time you're really cognizant of, I think we're in a recession, things seem like they're getting worse. This might be more of a learning lesson. This might be a time for you to be, to prepare for the next one. If you're, I would say in your mid to late thirties, forties or plus, you've been through this before. And hopefully this is going to present an opportunity for you. And the opportunity may present itself in the stock market. If we happen to go lower, it might present itself in the real estate market. Sure, interest rates are going higher, but what that means is the less qualified buyers are probably disappearing, and that leaves you, if you've prepared, maybe you've been through a recession before, maybe you've built up your cash reserves, maybe you've done all the things that we subscribe people do and track your spending and so on, so that when the macro starts working against you, that actually presents opportunities. Let me throw you two data points, John, that that maybe you can weigh in on. First of all, there are a lot of people, there's a lot of headlines and pundits and, you know, trust the pundits as much as you want, but who are saying 2023, it's baked in already. It is it is priced into assets that that we have a lot of the negativity already in the mix. The other one is the fact that within six months after an election, the market usually does go up because the uncertainty is gone. So if you're sitting on the fences, if you have been sitting on the fences, is now the time to just start getting in or dollar cost averaging in or however you want to play it? Here's what I would suggest if you're sitting on the fence. So number one, if you're considering retiring in 2023 at least consider working an extra six to 12 months. I'm not suggesting that 2023 is going to be some catastrophic event, but we're not completely out of the woods. And working an extra six to 12 months has an incredibly positive impact in someone's long-term plan. So think about that. If you're sitting on the fence and you don't have cash reserves, build some cash reserves. I've spoken to numerous people who were regular investors. And throughout this year, they've been very frustrated, feeling like they're throwing money away. Okay, maybe you don't have to invest your extra cash flow into the market, but build some cash reserves. If you do want to invest in the market, whether it's stock, bond, or what have you, and I generally think it's, it's always a good time if you're a long-term investor, yes, dollar cost average. In periods of uncertainty like we're in now, I strongly suggest Maybe you don't discontinue investing if you're so inclined, but dollar cost average, it's a great way to manage risk. Something else to consider if you're sitting on the fence. We're not done with 2022. There may be opportunities to harvest losses in your non-retirement accounts. You maybe have come across some headlines talking about year-end distributions in mutual funds or ETFs. That can be a real pain point for investors when you look at your portfolio or you pop open your 401k statement and you see you're down on your investments and 
you were also handed a tax bill because at year end, at least in your non-retirement accounts, mutual funds will kick off distributions. So in order to offset that and to ideally manage those pain points, consider harvesting some losses. And the other thing I'll say is this. These environments, they, they can sometimes segment people. And the two types of people I'm thinking about are those who have a plan and those that don't. I talk to real people every day. And they're disappointed. They're frustrated. They're down 15 to 20%. So am I. But I'm not really all that concerned in the long run. And neither are they because they have a plan. They work with me. They work with my colleagues. And if you're not certain what you should be doing, you can always reach out. 833-PLAN-EFE. You can always call 833-PLAN-EFE. John, a number of weeks ago on an earlier show, you mentioned that you thought 2023 would be, and I quote, a path to normalization. I actually love how that sounds, but can you break it down for us? Yeah, and and there's a strong argument that says we're already on it. And so the path normalization involves a number of economic metrics, just getting back to historically normal levels. A popular one right now might be the 30-year mortgage. It's around 7%, and historically that's normal. But what I also want people to be aware of is the fact that um, this, this pain that everyone may be waiting for to unfold in 2023 to some degree, you may have already gone through some of it. So this idea that things are sort of baked in or priced into the market, let's acknowledge that it is possible that the Federal Reserve knows what it's doing. The most recent GDP came in at 2.6%. The employment market remains strong. And historically, the Federal Reserve, they don't raise rates into a weak economy. So at some point in time, there needs to be an acknowledgement that maybe this inflation story is more than just interest rates. The Federal Reserve knows this, and so does the market. And so here again, it's possible. I'm not saying this is the case, but the pain you're expecting or anticipating in 2023 may have already been inflicted to some degree. But when we look at 2008, for example, or even at 2020, 2020 is probably a better example. Pendulums swing too far. This always happens. They swing too far in one direction or another. And when they swing too far down, that's where you get an opportunity. So when people were looking at stocks in in 2020, and I remember having this conversation with my financial advisor, and he said, I am buying. This is overcorrected. I see an opportunity and I am buying. And so when you look at this market, John, are there more opportunities? There can be. I mean, there's across the board. I mean, you're seeing some industries get hit more harshly, say tech, for example, but then you're seeing a lot of that money shift into other parts of the market. That's why we broadly diversify our clients' assets. So when the markets do go down, there is opportunity, but it might not be in the sector or in the companies that that led to growth up to that point. So you do, you do want to be somewhat agile. Tough times lead to stronger leadership in some cases. Yeah, some companies are laying off people, unfortunately. And this might sound harsh, but in terms of stock performance, that could make a company more efficient, for better or worse. They could be more profitable. And this is why you might be reading negative headlines, but yet seeing the stock market or certain companies go up because they're 
altering their plans. They're making changes to their strategy to better navigate the, the new set of circumstances. Uh, you do want to review your own personal plan, and we can help you find opportunities specific to you. Simply just call 833-PLAN-EFE, and we'd be happy to walk you through what opportunities might make sense for you. We are racing toward the end of 2022. Thanksgiving is next week. And then you blink your eyes and we are flying through Hanukkah, Christmas, and New Year's. Soledad already has one foot into 2023. But I do. I I really do. Yes, it's so true. (laughs) But before we dive into never-ending Christmas carols, Everywhere, And can I just say, I am there for that. Yes. We are trying to put 2022 in context and understand how bad is it really out there? John, you've been making some good points around looking for opportunities when things are looking kind of bleak. So let's get a little tactical. What can I do right now? Or maybe a better question is, what should I absolutely not do right now? One thing that comes to mind more immediately is this idea of chasing yield. We've heard a lot about rising yields, say, in the two-year treasury. It looks really attractive. This is, stems from 08, 09. I worked with a lot of people that at that point in time where the world really was falling apart. Their portfolios were down, say, 40%. And there were certain fixed income instruments that might have guaranteed them 6 or 7%, but they had to lock their money up for 10 years. And as you both know, The following 10 years, the stock market, if we just use the S&P, just about doubled that rate of return. So while I do understand that in the short term, seeking yield, um, seeking security, it, it often feels like the right thing. And depending on your circumstances, it might be. But I also want you to be mindful of the fact if we're to get tactical, and let's say 2023 does see a lower market, tactically buying into the market could serve you better in the long run rather than locking up your money in a two or three year CD yielding four or 5%. So I I want you to be mindful of the fact that these down markets, they might not present short-term opportunities, but they do present long-term opportunities. So be mindful of that. So on the the topic of being tactical, um, as you're considering your various choices, I would say consider who you're getting your advice from. Um, We're heading into the holiday season. There's going to be a lot of conversations. God knows there's plenty to talk about. And so you really want to get a sense of where you stand financially, maybe before you start listening to your brother or your sister, mom or dad. Their circumstances aren't the same as yours. We, We did a show on this just recently and really talked about the importance of having people that you trust in your corner and and the importance of the fiduciary responsibility that they have to put your interest, your financial interest ahead of their own. I mean, that seems kind of basic, but yet many, many advisors don't do it. So let's pause this conversation and bring in our guest, Christopher Jones. He's the chief investment officer for Edelman Financial Engines. Chris's team is responsible for investment analysis, financial research and development, portfolio management, data science and engineering for the millions of folks who are clients of EFE. He's also an author and a well-respected strong advocate for investor rights with policymakers and regulators in Washington, D.C. Chris, nice to have you. Welcome back to the show. Glad to be here. We've been talking, of course, uh, all about how bad it is, or maybe it isn't. I'm curious how you assess that very question. Like, what goes into your thinking about where we are right now? 
Well, it actually turns out to be a, a bit of a complicated question. There's, there's no doubt 2022 has been a really tough year for markets and certainly for investors. Uh, it's, been, it's had a host of challenges. If we kind of go down the list, I mean, we've had uh, a pandemic, the lingering effects of the pandemic. We've had supply chain disruption. We've had a war in Europe. Uh, we have the highest inflation we've seen in 40 years. So there's a lot of factors swirling around that are complicating the, the picture for the economy right now. Despite all those challenges, there are some things that are, look pretty good. Uh, we've had the lowest unemployment in, in almost 50, 60 years. Uh, consumer spending seems pretty good still. We've had a, good corporate balance sheets, good personal balance sheets. Corporate earnings have been decent. So it's d definitely a mixed bag when we look at the various metrics out there to assess the health of the economy. I clearly, sentiment is poor. Uh, people are worried about inflation. People are worried mm -hmm. about what the Fed is going to do uh, to counteract inflation. And that's got people pretty anxious about the future. Hey, Chris, I am thinking ahead to 2023. We've been talking about that in the show. And do you think things will turn the corner rather quickly? Or, or do you think we're in for additional months of pain. And, and, you know, look, I know you don't have a crystal ball and I know there are no guarantees here, but as you have been through this a number of times, how do you read it? Well, what I think characterizes this kind of environment we're in right now is just a lot of uncertainty about the future. So what the Fed is trying to do is to bring down inflation. And the way that they do that is to slow down the economy. Now, that sounds relatively straightforward, but the problem is that the the ways that the Fed has to actually impact the economy are primarily through interest rates. And they can raise interest rates, which slows down the, the rate of activity in the economy. But it's not a simple uh, relationship in the sense that when they change interest rates, the full effect of that isn't felt for quite a number of months. And it can be uh, accelerated or decelerated by other things going on in the world. And that's part of the challenge right now. There's a lot of things going on in the world. So where are we right now? Well, uh, you know, there are signs that growth is starting to slow a little bit. And most people, the conventional wisdom is that in 2023, we'll continue to see some of that slowing in the economy. The big question is whether the Fed goes too far and pushes the economy into you know, a, a mild or deep recession. Uh, right now, that doesn't seem super likely, but it could definitely happen depending on what happens with future events. Can we talk about emotions? Because we discuss emotions a lot. And every so often, certainly leading up to the election, how do you advise people to navigate something that is so emotional, but not lead with emotion? I mean, I, I personally just find that very, very hard. Well, I, I think we all do. Even people who live and breathe this stuff every day find these kind of markets very emotionally draining and, and challenging. It, it's... Um, it's not an easy thing to go through. What I would say is that the most challenging aspect of investing is dealing with risk. And, and the, the real challenge with all of this is that when we invest for the long term and that we try to earn those you know, expected returns that allow you to build wealth over the long run, part of that means exposing yourself to the market. There's just no other way to get the returns if you don't, aren't willing to take some of that risk. And that risk is the risk of doing poorly in bad times, kind of like the times that we're in right now. And that makes it really hard. Uh, the evidence is over the long run, if you stick with a diversified portfolio and stick with a strategy, you will be much better off than trying to figure out when's a good time to get in or get out of the market. 
What we find is that working with a, an objective planner, somebody who can provide that second opinion, that validation, to help you avoid making mistakes is one of the most important aspects of that relationship. And the other aspect is just having a plan in place that allows you to deal with these kinds of eventualities, uh, to make the adjustments that you need to make in order to stay on track and to have the kind of retirement that you want. We need to take a short break, but we'll continue this conversation with Christopher Jones, Chief Investment Officer for EFE. I'm Jean Chatsky here with Soledad O'Brien and John McCafferty. You're listening to Edelman Financial Engines Everyday Wealth. Stay with us. With talk of a recession coming, it's time to ask yourself, is your financial plan ready to handle it? Talk to an Edelman Financial Engines Wealth Planner and learn how to help prepare for whatever lies ahead. Call 833-PLAN-EFE or visit planefe.com to get connected. This is our 47th show this year, and I can, without a doubt, say that for 47 weeks, you have heard us talk about how important it is for your portfolio to be diversified. We've talked through the whys. We have provided some historical context, but today we're going deeper still. Chris, when you're building a diversified portfolio to weather market downturns and rallies, what investment philosophy do you go by? Well, a lot of the investment philosophy and practice that we bring to bear on client portfolios goes back to the founding of our our company. And one of our co-founders was William Sharp, who was a Nobel laureate in economics, or I should say is a Nobel laureate in economics, uh, who is famous for being one of the godfathers of modern portfolio theory. What is that? well, Well, basically, it's a theory that governs how you construct portfolios mixing different types of assets, bonds, stocks, different types of stocks, different types of bonds, etc., in order to create the highest expected return for a given level of risk. The objective is, all things considered, you'd like to have the highest return for the level of risk that you're willing to take. And what Bill developed was a series of techniques that allowed us to build those kinds of portfolios from all the different building blocks that exist across the, the globe, Uh, into portfolios that are highly diversified, low cost, and provide those high expected returns for a given level of risk. Now, the challenge there is how do you mix these things? And and it turns out that there are really three big inputs that go into the process. One is how do these assets move together? So how do they correlate with one another? The other one is how risky they are on their own. So how much volatility can you expect from investing in different types of securities? And then the third, and perhaps the most challenging part, is what is the expected return associated with those different investments? If you have all of that information, you can run that through an optimization model, which is a model that basically determines how do you put all these pieces together in the most effective way to create a portfolio. And we've developed a number of techniques that allow us to calibrate that model to changing market conditions and therefore come up with a portfolio that makes sense given what we observe in the overall global market. We model more than 38,000 securities every month and we update our assessments and parameters for each of those securities each month. It's a lot of work, uh, but we're able to do all that work because we work with hundreds of thousands of clients where we can utilize that information to help each one of those clients build a portfolio that's tailored to their needs and their circumstances and their life. I have a question actually for John. I don't think people have any idea 
what their risk tolerance is or should be or what's optimal. John, is that where you come in and help people figure out how much risk they can actually stomach? You're completely right, Gene. So there's something known as the prudent person rules where, hey, on a scale of one to 10, one being cash, 10 being stocks, what number do you associate with? Sometimes people, they don't quite know. And it's my job to help them figure that out. And how we do that is educating them on sort of the historical behaviors of certain asset classes and making sure that whatever path we go down, it is aligned with their goals and the time horizon for that goal. Because you're right, sometimes, it, I would say if there's one aspect of what we do where I, I have to push some clients outside of their comfort zone, it's with investments. And it's because historically, stocks are an asset class that once again, historically have done a very good job of outpacing inflation, creating more wealth. We, as a firm, are responsible for helping you figure out, okay, what exactly is your risk tolerance and why should it be what it is? When you model those 38,000 securities every single month, Chris, what do you do with that information? One of the techniques that Bill Sharp helped uh, create and develop over the, the decades that he worked with large institutional investors is, and certainly that something that we've employed since the early days of our company, is a technique called Monte Carlo simulation. And it basically is a technique that was actually developed in physics, of all things, but it can be applied to systems like the economy where there's a lot of uncertainty. And it allows us to stress test a particular portfolio for a particular client through thousands of possible future market scenarios. Scenarios where the market does well, whether it does poorly, where inflation is high or low, or interest rates are high or low. And this gives us the ability not just to describe the risk associated with a portfolio in kind of generic terms as, you know, well, this is more risky than this, or this is less risky than that, but to actually specify what is the range of possibilities that you might experience if you invest in this way. How likely are you to reach your goals if you invest in this way? Can we talk about uh, investor sentiment? I personally feel there's just so much input coming into us. You mentioned a moment ago about kind of being overwhelmed by information. And I actually think that plays a role in investor sentiment. I think that there are a couple of things going on about this particular time we're in that are creating a lot of anxiety for people. One is inflation. Unlike a financial crisis like we experienced back in 2008, 2009, where you know banks were under pressure and the system itself was under pressure, inflation is something that people see and feel every day, right? When you drive past your gas station and you see the price of gas or you check out at the grocery store and you see how much you're spending on groceries this week, it is something that is very visceral. It's very obvious and very visible. The second thing that is different about this particular market downturn, unlike what we saw during the great financial crisis for most of it, is that bonds have done very poorly this year, relatively speaking. We usually don't see bonds going down by the degree that we've seen this year, and that's, of course, due to the, the spike in inflation. But what that means is that people, even people who have been investing fairly conservatively, are feeling the pain of a market drawdown. They are, they are seeing that in their portfolio value. And I think that is compounding the negative sentiment that we see in the market right now. Usually people 
see them moving in opposite directions, right? Usually bonds are, if, if your stocks are underperforming, your bonds are at least giving you a little bit of steam. And, and the fact That's that right. that hasn't been happening, I think, has been, as you say, demoralizing. It is. And there have been periods in history where this has happened. So it's not unprecedented for bonds and stocks to move in the same direction. But the degree to which they have this year is fairly unusual. This is not something that we've seen very often in the last 50, 60 years. Correlations between stocks and bonds move around. And most of the time, they're pretty low, sometimes even negative. But it means that in periods of time like we're seeing in 2022, sometimes they can move together. And that can be unfortunately, quite painful when they both move in the downward direction. Risk, R-I-S-K, four little letters. And while it's a word that has specific meaning for every investor out there, it also drives a very personal feeling that's associated with it. We've been talking with Edelman Financial Engine's Chief Investment Officer, Christopher Jones. Look, I am somebody who has to be pushed to take the amount of risk that my financial advisor believes that I should take. And I I take the advice, I listen to it, I do what I'm told, but I really latched on to something that EFE Wealth Planner Andy Smith said when he was with us recently. He said, we figure out a portfolio that allows you to take the least amount of risk in order to achieve your goals. That made total sense to me. And I guess, Chris, my question is, okay, how do you do that? Well, for most people, it's, it's a fairly complicated question because your goals obviously are things like when you want to retire and how much income you'd like to have in retirement and so forth. And they're very specific to your circumstances to your where you live and how much you've saved at this point in your life and how you've been investing at this point. And so putting all those pieces together requires a financial plan and it requires the analysis of not just those goals, but also the behavior of the investments that you are contemplating. And so when Andy talked about taking the least amount of risk to achieve your goals, what that means is finding a point on that risk spectrum where if you invest in that way, you have a high chance of reaching those goals, but you're doing that by exposing yourself to as little risk as possible. Now, as we know, there's a trade-off there, right? You can't expect high returns and have low risk. Uh, Risk and return are very correlated with one another. And so if you want to have higher expected returns, you have to be willing to take more risk. And that's challenging uh, for a lot of people, not just in, in practice, but it's challenging from an emotional standpoint because sometimes it means struggling through sometimes like we're seeing in, in 2022 where markets perform quite poorly. Do you guide people to manage their expectations? I mean, that's something we're taught as parents, right? You've got you to manage your kids' expectations, otherwise you're going to have a meltdown. Well, I, I imagine you know, clients aren't children, but that that it's much the same, that if you can telegraph for people what at least you think is coming or what's likely to be coming and the fact that maybe it is different than it used to be, you, you put yourself and them in a better position. That's very true. Uh, people have wide-ranging expectations about what they think they can get from investing in the market. Some people are very optimistic and extrapolate from, you know, recent history or short histories to say, oh, well, I, I, maybe I can get 20%. Well, I mean, it is possible to achieve a 20% return in the market, but that's not the most probable outcome. Uh, most investments in fixed income and in bonds and in stocks are going to return rates of return that are in those sort of 
on the long run, on average, 8, 9, maybe even 10% if you're in a high equity portfolio. But you're not very likely to achieve 15 or 20% returns over long time frames. It sometimes happens, but it's not very likely. And so part of the planning process is having realistic expectations about what you can expect from your portfolio and making sure that you're saving enough and or perhaps working long enough so that those returns will be adequate to help you meet your financial needs and obligations. Because if you I, undersave, you can't you can't fix that, right? If you right. if you undersave, that's I think the real yeah, danger I, spot. I think the important thing to keep in mind is there are certain things that we control and there are certain things that we have no control over. Uh, it, it helps to keep a little bit of Zen-like detachment sometimes when you're investing because at the end of the day, we don't get to control what market we live through. We've been living through some quite interesting times over the last 20 or 30 years, uh, and sometimes those have been good and sometimes they've been not so good, but we don't get to control that. I can't tell you, you know, what the market will do five years from now or 10 years from now, but we do get to control how much we save we do get to control how much we spend, for the most part, and making good choices along those lines, along with your time horizon, is really important to making sure that you have a plan that's going to work no matter what happens with future markets, whether they're really good, really bad, or somewhere in between, which is obviously the most likely occurrence. So obviously there's still a fair amount of uncertainty across the board, and it's understandable why an investor might want to get more conservative with their portfolio. Can you speak to that investor and explain to them why that might not be in their best interests? Yeah. Well, first I would just acknowledge that having that emotion and having that <clears throat> desire to kind of withdraw from the pain associated with well, from a down market is a very understandable emotion for people to have. It is not mm -hmm. uncommon. Now that said, uh, if you look at it from a coldly objective point of view, it is time in the market that makes the biggest difference in terms of wealth accumulation. And so while there are periods of time where the markets will go down, as if we've seen this year, uh, if you stick through those times by holding on to a diversified strategy that is adapted to your time horizon and to your goals, you have a much better odds of success of building the wealth that you need to achieve your goals than if you pull back in times of, of market uncertainty like we're in right now. Mm -hmm. And the reality is the market is always offering attractive expected returns. But there's a lot of variation around that expectation. In some years, like 2022, we're going to see a down market. Other years, we might see much better than expected returns. And those things tend to average out over the long run to those you know, 8, 9, 10% kinds of returns that we've seen historically. But the key is that you need to stay invested in the market. Trying to jump out or, or remove yourself from the market at, at inappropriate points in times is one of the biggest errors that the investors can make, and it usually ends poorly. Recently, we've seen a pretty significant uptick in yields, whether it be treasuries, I-bonds. What would you advise someone do who might be considering chasing yield, uh, maybe allocating too much of their portfolio or, or wealth to something like I-bonds or maybe a, a two-year treasury? Well, the key thing with diversification is you don't want to put all of your eggs in one basket. You don't want to bet on just one part or one sector of the economy doing well in the future. 
you want to make a variety of different bets. And that, that is true for bonds as well as for, for equities. So when you're ta- thinking about building a portfolio that includes a substantial fraction invested in bonds, you want to have exposure to treasuries. You want to have exposure to corporate bonds. You want to have exposure to even mortgage-backed securities because they all move in a little bit of a different way depending on what's going on in the overall economy. And so by diversifying across those different types of investments, including things like municipal bonds in some cases, you get the benefit of performance that might be a little better in one sector versus another, uh, depending on what's happening in the economy. And the same thing goes for stocks. You don't want to invest just in one kind of stock. You want to invest in large capitalization stocks, small capitalization stocks, value stocks, growth stocks. You want to have exposure to multiple parts of the market because there's no telling when one particular asset class is going to do well or poorly in a given year. Chris, what do you say to people who have a little bit of money they want to play with? You know, maybe they've got their diversified portfolio, they've got their retirement account, they've got their strategy, and then they see some some opportunities, maybe in individual stocks or, or other investments, and, and they want to play. Well, first of all, it's, it's human nature to want to have a little bit of, of um, play money, if you will, as part of your overall portfolio. A lot of people like to have a small portion of the portfolio that they can make investments and maybe be a little bit more speculative in the kinds of investments that they're making with that money. As long as it's a relatively small portion of your overall wealth and that you can afford to have that portion of your wealth do poorly and still be able to achieve your goals – it's perfectly fine to have some play money uh, and to make more speculative investments. Now, it's important to have the right expectations going into that. If you are speculating in individual stocks, for instance, generally speaking, that isn't going to work out well most of the time. If you look at investments in individual securities, there's a lot of risk that those particular securities will actually underperform the overall market. This is one of the reasons why we are so adamant about teaching people to invest across hundreds or thousands of securities is because that's what yields the best returns on average. But investing in a particular security can mean the opportunity to do much better than the market if that stock happens to take off. But just be aware that there's an equally likely risk, in some cases even more than likely, uh, that the stock will underperform the market or perhaps, in worst case scenario, even go bankrupt. And this is another area where a planner can be very helpful because if you say, hey, I've got this pool of money and I want to go speculate and invest in stocks, that's fine. Let's let's talk about the risk of that position in the context of your overall portfolio and make sure you're comfortable with that. And so the, the point I would say is when you're thinking about investments in individual securities, make sure that you're doing it with a portion of money that you're prepared to either lose or have significantly underperformed the market. Christopher Jones, what a pleasure. It's so nice to talk to you again. Uh, Chris is, of course, the Chief Investment Officer for Edelman Financial Engines. We are out of time for this show. Thanks for joining us. If you have a question or a topic that you'd like us to talk about, we'd love to talk to you on the air. Just visit everydaywealth.com and submit your question. And then together with an EFE Wealth Planner, we will talk through some potential solutions that are just right and personal for you. 
And if you want to catch a show that you might have missed, you can always listen to our podcast. Often, the podcast will have extra content that we just don't have time to air on the radio. You can download it at everydaywealth.com or wherever you stream your favorite podcasts. And we like your feedback. So if you like what you hear, or even if you don't, leave us a review. We want to hear what you think. And take a second and subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Have a great week, everyone. You've been listening to Edelman Financial Engine's Everyday Wealth with Soledad O'Brien, Gene Chatsky, and John McCafferty. Tune in each week for fresh and compelling insights and strategies to help elevate your financial potential. To learn more, visit our website, everydaywealth.com, or find our show wherever you stream your favorite podcasts.